Hi, welcome to That Reminds Me Of, a podcast about film and the films that remind us of that film. You're here with Baron and the Doc. And the Maestro. Do we need another drink? Yes, we do. Yeah. Baron, hello. Where are we? We are back at the Capitol, Doc. And why are we here? Well, we've uh, just seen Bird Eater. Well, not just, last night, or a couple of nights ago now. Monday night, I think you're getting confused. Night. Bloody hell, it's all a blur now, isn't it? Written and directed by Jack Clark and Jim Weir. Mm. Starring Mackenzie, I'm going to read the list because it's a great cast, I don't want to miss anyone. Mackenzie Fernley, uh, Shabana Aziz, Ben Hunter, Jack Bannister, Clementine Anderson, Alfie Gledhill and Harley Wilson. I think there's a couple others, but these... This cast is fantastic. Well, it's not just the cast that's fantastic. The whole film is bloody fantastic. And I've got a surprise for you. We have Jack Clark and Jim Weir right here. <laughs> wow. Right in front of you. Right in front of you. <laughs> Welcome, guys. You hadn't, you hadn't seen them. <laughs> Jumps here. So yeah. glad you could join us, eh? The magic of cinema. So, how has it been coming down from New South Wales to MIF with your film? Yeah, it's been very fun. MIF yeah, flew us down, put us up in a swanky hotel. So it's all kind of, yeah, new to us, um, being treated so well. Um, but yeah, it's been really cool. It's been cool showing it to um, Victorian audiences and getting that feedback and being in the room with them. Um, and we've been able to meet some other really cool filmmakers as well. So yeah, awesome few days so far. Great, yeah. great. And you've, you've had how many screenings so far and how many are you going to have at the festival? We've had two and we've got another one tonight. So we've got a third one tonight at the Forum. Beautiful. The great, biggest venue, yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's 600 or 700 people mm. on that one. Mm. Yes. It's a good crowd film. Like, I think it does well when there's just heaps of people in the room, you know? I mentioned the cast because one of the things I really noticed about this film mm. is how great the casting is. And I had this very strong feeling that we're going to see all these people become huge stars in the next, you know, mm. five or ten years, whatever, however long it takes, because mm. it just is such a strong cast. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I hope they all get a bunch of work yeah. um, on the back of it. Uh, it took us a while to cast. It took us maybe like six months of slowly finding them all and doing a bunch of chemistry tests. Um, a couple we had worked with before. Um, but yeah, most of them were like fresh faces for us. And I think they're fresh faces for like the whole kind of audience as mm. well. So it means we have um, a bunch of freedom in like setting up expectations and like really having it feel like those are the characters, they're not performers playing these characters. And let's not forget the directors. The di directors are pretty good too. And there's like there's a few you know directing duos that have mm. made it big. Normally they're brothers like the Coens and mm. who else? Well, we've, we've, a few others. Yeah, we've been, the, the Cans are here. <laughs> the Cans brothers, Cairns brothers yeah. of course. Yeah, and Racka Racka Boys as well. Racka Racka Boys, yeah. totally. Yeah. How did you two find each other and, and what's, you know, what's been the co-directing journey? Like what mm. would have been the ups and downs? Just the ups, if you like. Okay. <laughs> well, we met at film school. We met at the Australian Film Television Radio School. We spent three years studying there and then we, we'd never planned to direct. We, we directed our own shorts and the other would usually produce or shoot the other's film. Um, but when it came time to like, we had a feature concept we were designing um, and when somebody was interested, it just, we sort of had the conversation for the first time and then decided very quickly that it made sense to, yeah. to co-direct. Um, I think just at this level, like you need all of the help you can get. Like the resources are so, so limited. It's having another shoulder to cry on or something. I don't know, so somebody else just that's, that's, that's there um, pushing to the same degree you are yeah. um, ends up being the most important resource. Because, you know, 
and it's the same with all of the crew. Like you just money is so so slim, and you can you can afford to pay people. It's usually only like a ceremonial kind of gesture, um, but it's kind of their commitment to the project that keeps them, you know, shooting for a long time. Um, but we split the roles on set, so Jim would talk to the actors usually after a take, and then I would talk to camera. Um, but we would have notes for each, but we would sort of have a quick conversation and then separate and then go chat to various departments, which took a while. Like the first day days were a bit confused because we'll take a bit of extra time um, chatting between ourselves. So it took a while for like the crew to calibrate, um, but it is becoming pretty common. So um, I think that sort of workflow will be more familiar to people soon. Mm. Um, Fascinating. Mm. Yeah, I've never experienced that. And you guys still like each other at the end of that process. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I guess so. Yeah, that's, that's great. Fun, yeah. Yeah. That's great. We've got lots of things we want to talk about with this film, but I think for the audience's sake, uh, it's a good time to ask you guys to give us the synopsis, the pitch. We would normally do it, but, you know, why would we do it with, with you two here? <laughs> yes, okay. It's about, um, it's about a bride-to-be who's invited to her own fiancé's Bucks Night. Some secrets are exposed about their relationship. Um, and then the night takes a feral turn, um, led by the best man and some of the groomsmen. What a great setup, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, it reminded me, uh, this is, we won't, we'll get to what it reminded us film-wise, mm. but it reminded me of my 20s. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. And which is equal parts sort of fun and scary, yeah. uh, which, I don't know, was there any personal experience that um, led you to... There was. There was. There were, there were, I mean, a lot of the characters are based on people we know, real people. Um, the only really fictionalised part of it is actually the Bucks Party premise. We haven't had, like, horrific Bucks parties. Like, I've been to a few, but they've usually been fairly tame, kind of, like, counter to what happens in a film. It's like there's all of this weight of expectation and then... It's just, you know, going to the pub with a few guys. Like, it's fairly simple, but um, it was, but all of the characters are sort of what we drew from and, and, and all the cast as well, like, took them, um, their research, they, they went and sort of would, would gather things from various people. So it was a lot of stories that me and Jim had told each other about um, relationships and um, oftentimes how they would play out at a party or an, at an event. So we had both played this game of paranoia in the film and me and Jim had had basically the same ex experience in two separate parties with kind of a couple having a breakdown as a result of paranoia because um, it's just a really awkward game and that's kind of what it's designed to do. Um, so we were, yeah, stealing from lots of real people but not the, not the Bucks Party setting itself. But there, there, there is something really interesting about it's sort of set up where it's just like you're, you're built or you're, you're led to expect something really crazy to happen or a surprise or um, usually there's a there's kind of the almost like the threat of an adult like an adult performer or, or a dancer or a stripper or something like that is just kind of looming all at the back of a, a box party and everybody's kind of whispering and trying to figure out if it's a joke or if it's real and it's usually like somewhere in the middle so it's just a very funny kind of realm. You're taking me back and I think the threat is perfectly put. Yeah, the threat no is the, yeah, the, no really the fun part. Nobody wants, nobody wants a stripper to be there. It doesn't even matter if there is one. It's more just the, the first few hours where someone is joking, you know, saying they do it definitely. They're coming, they're coming, you know. And it's, fun. it's funny, it's funny to play with that. Did you go to an all-boys school or private school, something <laughs> yeah. like that? Is that where this 
you know, the, this began. Yeah, I did, I did. And Jim didn't, so we kind of, he negs me about that a lot, but sort of channeled that into the film, I think. There was a, an initiation night I went to for like the old boys, for the rugby club of the school I used to go to. Um, and Anna had a very Bucks party energy, just like a group of like uh, 18 to 23 year old men um, kind of roaming around the city in a big pack, just like looking for something to happen. I, I don't know, there was this really weird violent undercurrent to it all um, that I was like right in the middle of and I had to sort of feel it and, and, and recognize that I was a part of it, which was, which was weird, but we were going, you know, I remember distinctly like walking down the train platform in this kind of turtle formation of like 30 dudes and people just like getting out of the way because they just knew that these guys were um, <laughs> looking for trouble, like, not looking for trouble in like a... Potentially trouble. Yeah, they, just would, they, they, just, they were kind of radiating this, this kind of juvenile male energy, which is um, fairly unique um, to Australia as well. Um, it's just a big part of our culture. So definitely took a lot of inspiration from that. Yeah, we, we kind of accidentally ended up talking about a lot of topical issues in the movie. We didn't really set out to do that because uh, we don't think that's like the best way to make movies. But yeah. we, talk, we talked a little bit about the more kind of subtle methods of manipulation that we see like among men our age in our kind of circles, um, like the gaslighting, the coercion, types of behaviour where you can't underline it and say that's really bad exactly this but it's kind of you zoom out and see a general pattern of behavior and then it's a bit more damning um but pretty quickly we were just talking about characters and having a really a really um tumultuous collection of characters where every single scene can be dramatic and everyone wants something um and they all have differing points of view mm. we didn't want to make a movie about um young people that didn't know what to do with their lives, the kind of like mumblecore um, indie movie we were, we're pretty sick of seeing. Um, so yeah, we wanted young people who yeah, had really strong points of view uh, and differing points of view and shoved them all on a weekend away together. Yeah, it comes across, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But on the idea of like the discussion of uh, masculinity in film, I think kind of the way we approached it was th through humour first and then we arrived at like fairly serious conversations we were having with the cast and things but I think especially if you're trying to address a male audience I think there's kind of they just shut down if they feel like they're getting lectured to which maybe is like a juvenile response whatever it is I think it's what what happens with a largely male audience so I think the way through is to give them dudes that they can laugh with and they can feel like they can recognise mm -hmm. and then sort of as the film kind of sours and starts to make fun of them, I think it, it, they're too far in at that point, you know. Yeah. By the time we start using, you know, Charlie as kind of like an insane character and making, just like outright making fun of him, we're like an hour and a half into the film at that point and they've already identified with him and they already feel like he's maybe like on the right side of the line, but like you've already got them involved at that point. So it was kind of humour first, but then kind of using that to Trojan horse something else in, yeah. That's super smart. I think that, I think that really works. Because, um, you know, I imagine that pretty much any interview you're going to have or, or the review will, will mm. talk about toxic masculinity yeah. at some point. But of course. it doesn't really feel, it didn't, never really felt to me like that's what you were addressing with mm. it. It's sort of like, the, it's a more nuanced look at, at masculinity, which I think is great. Mm. 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 Well, we, yeah, P 
people have been talking about the use of Dylan as well, and that was sort of our plan there was to find somebody that the audience would package really quickly at the start of the film and think that they had a read on sort of what his arc is going to be in the film and then using him in sort of like an interesting way in the second half or perhaps pivoting who's like the antagonist and people were growing closer to Dylan than they expect because of his performance. But yeah, He was a, a really well-realised character. He was the first punch in the face um, dialogue-wise mm. particularly. Like mm. that scene when he's introduced and they're having yeah, yeah. That, that conversation yeah. where they're not quite connecting <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was just so beautifully written yeah well that's so the, well that was the point of that scene was just to kind of wake the audience up and let them that's kind of when people feel like they have permission to laugh mm -hmm. or at least that was our idea but people have been laughing before that which is strange as well they've been laughing in the their hallway scene when when louis has been saying you know you know yeah when i told the boys you were coming they got so excited and people, <laughs> and people laugh at that which well is yeah, so weird. yeah. <laughs> just because it's so it's just because it's so such a dastardly like yeah <laughs> so transparent yeah. <laughs> but it's all like, the humor is so relatable for for mm. blokes and mm -hmm. aussie blokes mm. you just you really can feel yourself in there because mm. we all it, it, for, for men it's it's yeah. always really humor first mm -hmm. and then underneath that is the the, either the tenderness or the violence or both mm. so really well and you realized. can just keep laughing if you want to like that's always an option is that like in the conversation or the night takes a turn and you're you're free to just like keep laughing because that just puts the shield up you're not involved you're not it doesn't mean you're participating you're just laughing it's kind of like inaction really yeah um, we, we had one really interesting screening uh at sydney with our biggest biggest audience maybe 500 or 600 people um yeah and they're just people laughing like the entire movie laughing really really hard at the start wow. like it was super bad or something but then the <laughs> laughing train just like kept on powering on like long after we think it stops being funny but like yeah yeah so people were laughing like during like the third act as well wow sometimes that's the power of a big audience though isn't it yeah. because they feed off each other and it yeah. you know, becomes something else mm. bit of a yeah. worry though for the future of men well shall we let's get into the, the the part where we talk about reminds me of the things mm. we were reminded of yeah what did what it remind you of um well i'm going to give you i'm going to give you a bit of a a weird one to start with but it hit me hard in at about maybe i don't know maybe it's like a third of the way through the film and it's where the wild things are okay okay yeah. it's because i was just like these guys yeah. are having a rumpus yeah. like and it's just this extended rumpus yeah. scene oh sure the chanting around the fire yeah, yeah. Just them, like they were almost swinging from the trees yeah. and then yeah. and then i was that's like well if is. that's the case then who's who's max in this mm. um situation and mm. uh don't want to get the character's name wrong it's irene i mm. think mm. um and although you could you could call it any number of characters but mm. it feels to me like she's um suddenly in the middle of this situation mm. it's sort of wild um and she takes part she takes part in like the third act as well so yeah. she sort of sort of surrenders to it too bit of an oddball one to start with no, yeah, that's that's fine. i like that yeah. yeah that's good should i follow that with yes. another oddball yes one? please do uh this may not make sense but um i wanted a reason to talk about the start of your film yeah. mm. and to me the gold standard of how to to start a film with almost a film within a film is is the pixar film up <laughs> mm, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just I don't know how long it goes for five yeah. minutes or something. Yeah, yeah. Pre-credits probably. Mm. Um, 
and you get the whole life of this this man and this mm. more importantly this relationship mm. that part of your film is so so brilliantly put together choply edited mm. um and you know of the same yeah sort of i mean standard. yeah very similar kind of goal i suppose oh the the end goal is very different i suppose mm. really awful relationship but kind of our plan was to like to use that language and then make people think that this is because it's the start of the film people are going to assume that we're trying to bond these two and believe their romance and we do that for you know a few minutes or mm. kind of we, we we kind of imply just because there's a routine that there's love there um but then kind of slowly trickle in evidence that this is a really strange relationship. I mean, it's right. It's there from right from the start. Like she comes just to watch him swim. Like she doesn't take part. The first line is that she's a spectator. Mm. Um, but it was all about making the audience think that we're watching the kind of like a romantic setup for the first few minutes, and then start to question what they're saying. Especially because the music is so romantic as well. Yeah. It's an interesting sequence too because you're watching it with some faith, thinking that you're going on a certain mm. kind of journey. But there's something slightly wrong you can yeah. sense it early on i well, i did anyway there's something not right here and you then get a sense of like well is this a bit of an unreliable mm. storytelling you know sure. narrative situation where you know anything could happen from here mm. um, which then kind of is what happens like mm. you, your, your film takes such a, a series of turns out from there onwards so mm. it's 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 a great intro yeah oh, i'm glad you're into it that's, yeah, that's yeah. a good reference i think so well we've had one each yeah. So how we'd normally do this is just go round and, and okay. keep going round till we run out of time. Wait, so you should think of a strange one, though. Yeah, we've given you, you two weird ones. You Look, can give us no, something that's not weird if you like. No, I want to think of something weird. <laughs> yeah, I want a strange one as well. <laughs> well, look, you had a poster on one of the walls. Yes, well, that's probably... <laughs> that's the one we're trying not to talk about. <laughs> that's the one we've talked about so much in so uh, okay, many cool. um, interviews, Waking Fright. Um, because it's, yeah, the godfather of, you know, Aussie cinema talking about men. And it's just, yeah, remained part of the conversation of national cinema since it came out. We didn't intend to steal that much from it, but more and more we realised the similarities. At a certain point, we're like, OK, well, let's get a poster in there. I had a poster on my <laughs> wall that I just, like, brought over to set and you put Great. in the background. It's a fair one to, to mention, though, because I think that's started a conversation about how we're portrayed, mm. yeah, um, Aussie blokes from from outside, mm. and you know, not Croc Dundee or anything mm. like that. That was later. And your your film's doing the same thing. It's it's being a bit, you know, it's making us look at ourselves mm. squarely in the mirror. Yeah. Like almost 50 years later, not much yeah. has changed. Mm. Not that much has changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we we also like the idea of having these private school boys, these North Shore boys, kind of inhabit the caricature of like the outback larrikin as well, how kind of closely those archetypes assimilate um, even today. Any weird ones? It's not too weird, that? but uh, Nashville is one that we talked about a lot, Robert Altman film, and that's about um, Nashville when there's a uh, there's uh, something like fifty, like fifty characters, like this huge ensemble thing that was con that constantly jumps between very strange characters, like from a very far like very removed perspective, kind of like in our scene when you have Dylan taking everybody's drinks down at the riverside and the camera's all the way up on the hill and we can hear him clearly and we can hear everybody but we're kind of like following him. That's kind of like Nashville for like uh -huh. most of the movie and it kind of jumps between people and there's different events and they all cross over. But there's a particular scene in that as well when a man, uh, a singer is, 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 is 
giving a song in a um, in a bar, and there's three different women that we've encountered throughout the story that have all crossed paths with this man, and they all think he's in love with them. Um, and he he's written this song and is singing it for a woman in the song, and it jumps between all three of the women who all think it's about them, but they all have quite different reactions as well. Like one of them is married, one of them one of them has come to Nashville to find him. Mm. One of them is a member of his band who's married to the there's only three of them so it's a love triangle so they all have kind of different reactions to thinking that he's written this song about them and we use that for the sequence at the end of the film with lady lazarus with the mm. the, the four boys and they all have very different reactions to to her and what she sort of represents to them mm. um so that was that was a very direct reference for us great yeah i haven't seen that but that's Sounds it's great. great. It's a terrific film, and he has he, he did really interesting. He was a pioneer of all his him and his sound designers with kind of multiple layers of dialogue in a scene. So we would have you know twenty people on on screen at once, but you'd be able to identify all those tracks even yeah. if they're talking at once, mm. and they yeah, all kind of inhabit. Level, yeah. yeah, they yeah. all inhabit a very specific part of the sort of soundscape, and you can you can kind of tune in to whatever you want yourself. Yeah. Um, so technically, it's really. I'm still not sure they've completely figured out how they've done it, but it sounds a bit like Witches of Eastwick, where everyone's in love with Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think they actually tried to do something similar with the sound design in Uncut Gems, actually, because they because they there's not as many people on screen, but they have people just talking on top of each mm -hmm. other, and yeah. I think they looked into their Altman's process because they wanted to have you know, three people talking at once, but you yeah. could hear them all. One of the ones that came to mind for me really strongly was Death at a Funeral. Okay, yeah. Have yeah, you yeah. seen that film? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think it's, this, it's the, the ensemble of characters, mm. the sense of comedy, and just the idea of being at an event that we all know quite well should run a certain way, yeah. and then everything else happens, yeah. and drugs get involved, and it all mm. goes, you know, way off the rails. Yeah. Ceremonies like that are, are really strong for storytelling because it's just like a, like a wedding or a, a bucks night or a funeral is um, like a story but it's just it's a ceremony but it's a story when you transition it to a film that has its own kind of arc and it has its own structure and then you can just use that for storytelling in fun ways so there's, there's a lot of options there. Yeah probably what we um, stole most from is Festen or the Celebration Danish movie yep. at the um, 60th birthday party um, the that dog. having like that really extended uncomfortable speech at dinner mm. we took that for Dylan and um, that kind of tone of like pitch pitch black kind of comedy um, really heightened drama and how it mushes together kind of so seamlessly is what we were kind of our gold standard of what we were trying to achieve. And when you get to a larger stage, like we were limited in terms of what we could do, but once you get to a really big stage for an ensemble or something like Gosford Park or something, is like, or Feston, you can have a supporting character who's just really weird and really funny to watch, but is, is so specific. Like the cook in Feston is such a great character. He's in like two scenes or something, mm. but it's just like you get to be with him for a bit. You understand his function. You understand why he's there. You don't need an intro. What you had to do was much more sort of focused and contained. Yeah, everybody needed to be there all the time. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of contained, like that was the first of the dogma. That films, was, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, with all the enforced constraints that they put on mm, themselves, yeah. and I'm sure you know, being a low budget, maybe you didn't force the constraints. Actually, we stole something from Festin there. There's because there was a rule in Festin that you couldn't have dream sequences. So. 
but there is a dream sequence in Festin. So he falls asleep and imagines his, his sister who has committed suicide and he imagines her, but in order to not break the rules, he has a phone that's ringing in his room and the phone just rings at the same pace during his dream. Mm. So it's technically still grounded so they can get away <laughs> with it, even though it's not. But we did, we, did like, we didn't commit to that extent. We thought about it, but when Louis passes out mm. at the wheel in Bird Eater, there's the blinker going, which sort of transitions us into the flashback. And then there's one flash of his head and like the, the blinker, which is like half a frame. That was kind of like the last part of our idea. We did for a minute think about, well, let's just have the blinker in the background the entire time um, as like a score element. But we didn't, I think that would be a bit annoying. But. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great reveal though to his backstory. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it was fine. really slotted in nicely. Well, I was reminded of David Lynch mm. and specifically Blue Velvet. Yep. For several reasons. Firstly, the um, kind of ambiguous title that doesn't really refer yeah, yeah, to yeah. much on the surface. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe we can deal with that in a sec. But um, uh, secondly, the start, like I said, with Up mm -hmm. um, in Blue Velvet, it's kind cool. of got this completely idealised yeah. suburban yeah, landscape, yeah. which is setting it up in a very different way to what the mm. film actually is. It gets all crazy, obviously. Mm. And the third one was the um, Lady Lazarus mm -hmm. theme, mm -hmm. that just how that was presented, it was surreal, it, mm. the, the, the whole mm. film took a different tone and mm. that just felt very lynchy and I felt like I was in the um, Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, there was a, well, there was a scene that we removed from the script, we never shot it, I wish we did, but there was a scene where Louis admits, a, um, it's one of the only times we had, because it's an indie film, you kind of have to cut a little bit of the fat, which, in this case meant a scene where like there was no drama essentially it was just louis um sitting in a in the forest and he was telling dylan and charlie about a dream he had when he was at that property as a child where he saw a naked woman um and it terrified him um and then we later was we later found out or we it was just serendipity that we were watching the david lynch art life documentary and he talked about uh, in his childhood that being a formative creative experience for him where he was sitting on his gutter once as a kid and saw a naked woman um, just like crossing the street at, at sunset. Um, I think she had blood on her or something or something like that, but she, she, apparently she didn't look concerned at all. She just kind of like walked across the street. Mm. So there's definitely some, I mean, I don't want to assume I'm, I'm well, we're drinking from the same well <laughs> as David Lynch, but <laughs> there's, yeah, there, there, well, there was also conscious references there for sure. And the fascination with the music in that sort of set piece as well. Like he uses music in such interesting ways, mm -hmm. in Blue Velvet especially. And also the, the drugs as well, the heightened state Dennis yeah. Hopper's always in. Mm. Um, One of the only other movies with Nangs, I think, Blue Velvet, is huffing yeah. the gas. It's not, a, yeah, yeah, it's more nitrous. medical Nang, medical yeah. Nang, yeah. Medical Nang, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a, that's a good gank, yeah. yeah. <laughs> any, uh, any others for you two? There's a weird one. Yeah. Um, oh, we love weird ones. The scene where Charlie gets caught taking the ketamine pill and totally denies it with Grace and just like doubles down, yeah. triples down. Um, that's great. That's we, great. We took a lot, um, or at least I did, from uh, I Think You Should Leave with Tim <laughs> Robinson. Have you seen, seen that nice. sketch show on Netflix? <laughs> that is, it's a sketch show where pretty much every character is someone who is in the wrong but commits to it and then doubles down and will just like straight face lie or totally commit. There's quite a few sketches that feel fairly similar to that scene. It's just we uh, notched it a little bit more to drama. Great. But yeah, that's 
one of one of the sketches a sketch about um, loaded nachos. Um, we got Charlie, um, Jack Bannister, who played Charlie, to watch before. That's great. We shot that. Yeah. That's great. His performance was really cool, wasn't it? Yeah. Because from from early on, he was kind of the one we could rely on. <laughs> oh. oh no. Yeah. I thought, you know, because we he was set up against, yeah, yeah, a sensible um, one, against yeah. his mate, um, mm. uh, and then. So you, you feel the pain that he's in because mm. he's, you know, torn between the boys and the... As yeah. it gets harder and harder to defend his <laughs> mate and he still keeps trying. Yeah, <laughs> we, we loved working with Jack Bannister. He had no idea that his character was funny, like, pretty much the entire ah. time. He was so surprised. I was like, oh, this character's supposed to be funny. I'm like, yeah, he's ridiculous. He's just like a walking <laughs> contradiction. Beautiful. But yeah, there's something about his face, his stunned yeah. look. His eyebrows are able to go like so far up his head. He's like way up here. Um, yeah, the That's camera loves it. Awesome. I think the fact mm. that he doesn't think he's funny is probably exactly it, uh, why it he's really, funny. It really <laughs> helps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Should we go another round around? Yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. I think oh, did you have one? I yes, you I are still thinking. Yeah. I think um, away from like the storyline, um, Mishima, we stole a lot of their oh, yeah. um, score from Mishima. So if you were to play Mishima um, with like our opening, it would pretty much line up with the cuts because we just used his, yeah. and Philip Glass is like, we used a lot of his music to temp our film, Mo right. mostly from the, from the, uh, for the opening where we used because Mishima has this this incredibly propulsive score that just like feels like things are picking up and it flies through days, days mm. and days and days and has this really romantic feeling. But you know, in Mishima, it's not used for romantic reasons. It's it, that's why we were drawn to it. And in, in Mishima, the score is romantic, but it's about a fanatic, or they're usually about fanatics uh, or a terrorist. And we were like, well, that's really interesting. Let's try and do something similar tonally. And that was a real wrestle, like with the composer. He took it took us and him a while to wrap our heads around okay, creating something new that had the same effect and then we realised how complex like Philip Glass's stuff is like it feels so simple like it's you know a couple mm. notes and just repeats 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 but it's just like perfectly chosen yeah mm. and also the red trays in our movie oh, yeah. are taken straight from um, that one portion of Mishima with the red trees in the forest it's um, like a nightmare sequence or something yeah, yeah. and then ours we we justify it by having the red brake lights. They're just like random in Mishima. But, um, yeah, so that's a better. I love the score. Yeah, that's a way better the score. <laughs> yeah, it was really yeah. great. I was reminded of uh, Train Spotting by Danny Boyle quite mm. a bit with this film as well. And one of the things I love about Danny Boyle is just the way he cuts to music and, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. and like mm -hmm. the two things, the, the vision and the music are so in, in, intertwined. And there yeah. were sections in your film that really reminded me of that and, and so mm. beautifully done. Like you say, it moves the film forward with pace at times and it almost it almost feels like a music video at times as well. It's mm. great. It feels like we, we later found out there's a term called Mickey Mousing, <laughs> which is actually a um, it's kind of a, it's a dig. I wouldn't say it's an offensive, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. A, it's a dig, but offensive to maybe composers. And we just sent that to Andreas, just like, do this, but if you read it, it says like, it's kind of like a hack way of making music, which is just like it lines up exactly with what's happening on screen. But we really like it. Like I think, I, uh, it is satisfying. It does kind of, it kind of, it just. I think it's doing so much work in our film. It's like so much of the lead work, like the pace. It, yeah, it just kind of flies. But that's it's due to that. I think. I think if you do it right and you do it at the right times, it's not there the whole way through. No, yeah, yeah. It just it feels really. It feels like it's on point. You know? Yeah. It's, it's um. It's exactly right for the tone of those moments. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, there's also just sections of that score 
that are just um, stand out beautiful. Like they're just, you know, you could listen to those all day. That's cool. So yeah, I, I just thought it was a great score overall. Are we still going around? Yeah, yeah I, that, going, that was, that was the same yeah. one for me. So you go again. Oh jeez, have I got anything? One. Well, <laughs> I've got a, I've got a whole. I might do a, a group. Reminds me of just okay. of the parties gone wrong mm. genre. Mm. Um, if you go way, way back to Louis Spinwell, the exterminating, yeah. exterminating angel, angel yeah. and also the discreet, discreet charm of the bourgeoisie, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, both yeah, of those yeah. centre around mm. you know, groups of people with mm. you know re revelations and mm. that sort of thing. Um, and more recently, I think in the last year, we reviewed or compared Bodies, Bodies, Bodies and Sissy, mm. Sissy being yep. an Australian yeah, film. Yeah. And we thought there were a lot of com comparisons between the two of them, mm. um, but also with, with your film, mm. uh, when you get a lot, lot of young people together doing drugs, mm. revealing things about themselves. Mm. Those both ended fairly bloodily. Mm. Um, and I would argue yours is a better film, but it's in the same. Um, <laughs> yes. In the same sort of lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They both had party games in them as well. So they did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard, yeah. To, <laughs> hard to get away from them, to be honest. The party yeah. games are good. They're very easy, easy drama. Yeah. Having rules is really helpful. And knowing that the stakes are going to be a lot larger than, than what's on the surface. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, mm. yeah. it's great. Mm. Do you guys have any, any other? Yeah, Last I mean, little... I could keep doing laps. Yeah. <laughs> is there... oh, well, I shouldn't have given my five in a row. There. I know. Five easy pieces would be another one. And that was, yeah, that was a combination of things. It's about a film starring Jack Nicholson, Bob Raphaelson film about a man who's escaping his childhood as being a um, maestro uh, like pianist. And he's le left that privilege behind because he didn't want to be a part of that and has, like, costumed himself as like a blue collar worker and is working in the oil fields, just like luxuriating in like lower class kind of um, living standards and like goes bowling and gets drunk every night. And it's, yeah, so it's this weird kind of performance of what he thinks it is to escape privilege, but he gets a call that his dad's sick, so he has to go back home. He has to go back to, to his house, which is literally on an island in Washington or something and kind of confront his old family and make a decision whether or not he wants to kind of disappear again um, and we use that uh, for Dylan a lot, even though it's not, it's less on the um, on the text level than we had originally thought. Where Dylan's character was quite specifically written to be somebody who has come from immense privilege, but has um, dressed himself and 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 carries himself to appear like a blue collar worker, mm. like he has the boots, he looks like a labourer, and 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 he talks different to all of his friends, even though he's, he's kind of the wealthiest out of all of them. Um, but he's just come back from a trip to Mexico that's probably funded by his parents. Now he's living with his parents, but it's, it's all about this like performance that he um, builds up around himself. Um, and then he has to make a decision at the end of the film whether or not he kind of wants to reflect on himself or just kind of disappear again. Yeah, that, that, that was quite a direct reference for us. But it's a really interesting character and I think it's like it's an interesting idea now. I think, and it's something we're interested in talking about further where like Eat the Rich film at the moment is fun. It's funny to watch, but I think a character that might bury into an audience a bit more is somebody that is aware of their privilege on screen and is trying to escape it or or wants to escape or or, or, or mm. professes to want to escape it but is not doing anything about it. Um, at least I find that a lot more interesting and that's yeah, that's that's very present in five easy pieces and I feel like that should I think I feel like that's gonna come back pretty soon. Um, 
as kind of like a character type. You got great references. Yeah. Um, I I'm sort of jealous of the film school experience because I feel like you mm. probably had the opportunity to. Well, they got really a good library. They they taught us they they taught us some things, but it was more about it was more about we had like a little film club between us because it, the best thing about film school that we kind of took into our own thing was like making yourself watch something. Like mm. once you have a bit of experience or you go to uni and they say you have to watch this film even though you don't want to, you know, you're tired and it's three o'clock and you want to have a nap or whatever, but you have to watch this. And then when that finished up the first year, we wanted to keep that up. So we would just kind of make ourselves watch whatever. Yeah, very um, regularly skipping class to go watch a movie in the library. Yeah, mm. that's, that's the best. Skipping mm. film class to watch to films. your own film class. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. the idea of like using a film as a reference it's like it's going to happen because every time you approach a scene it's just like making a film is really hard and you're going to have plans about how your this scene is going to be like the, the first ever to be shot like this and then you get on set and like you know you're not going to be able to shoot it that way because the light's different so you're just like oh panic mode every single scene you're going into panic mode to some degree and then you go like oh, okay well how what does the scene look like you just think about every scene you've ever seen in a movie just straight automatically so it's kind of you, you ha you're going to be referencing you're going to be taking from from like a movie that you've seen we're getting the wrap up yeah um, kids, yeah yeah uh thank you guys so much <laughs> um i think they're going to get this the screen's going to come down uh, and crash gonna, down on us <laughs> we're going to do it they're going to do a screening here very yeah. shortly yeah, I, I think we could have gone <laughs> another round or two. We could have easily, <laughs> we could have easily gone more rounds. Um, yeah. You guys, uh, yeah, like of all, all the people we've interviewed so far, you, you've come at us with the most references, which is great. <laughs> I love it. That's I love good. it. Um, well, I hope it goes. The screen tonight goes really well. I hope the film continues yeah, to have a great festival run and Thank you. a theatrical release. Yeah, made. theatrical release on the cards. So. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Great. No, I'm very excited for that. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank, thank you. you so much. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank <laughs> you.